first thing he said was, Mom, the car's totaled. That's not what you want to hear at 10 o'clock on Saturday night. Cut a long story short, he was about four cars up, and when this tractor-trailer hit, cars literally were in the air, just flying through the air. He happened to have a trailer behind him. He had, he's living in Rome, Georgia now. I got a job last week. Thank the Lord for that. And thank the Lord he's out of the house. But um, he uh, was, was, had gone up there to take a washer dryer and was coming back. Well, uh, one of the cars flew through the air, and had it not been for that trailer, would have landed on their car, on his car. But it landed on the trailer, flipped off, hit the side of his car, crushed in both quarter panels. The tractor trailer ran over a car, completely over a car, up to the driver's seat and then pushed that into the trailer that was behind Joshua's car and the trailer went up under the car, ripped the trailer off, ripped the wheels off, totaled Teresa's car and about 100 yards up, a little one-year-old, two-year-old child's in critical condition and adults in critical condition. Every single person in that wreck, there's like a five-car pileup, was taken to the hospital except my son and the girl that was with him and they, they walked away. And, and I'm telling you, God is good. God is good all the time. And I just, I just wanted to just want to share that testimony with you. A great day. It puts everything in perspective. You know, Georgia doesn't win another game. I couldn't care less. God's good all the time. Well, the time was June 1783. The unbelievable had taken place. Perhaps the greatest military upset of all time, a fledgling coalition of 13 American colonies had taken on what was at the time the most powerful army and the most powerful navy in the world and against all odds had won. At the time, the man who was the unquestioned leader of that victory was General George Washington. So as the revolution was winding down, Washington was about to take leave of his public duty and was about to go back home that he had left seven years earlier to Mount Vernon, Virginia. And so on June the 14th, He sent a circular to all of the 13 colonies to be read to them, and it was basically giving his advice on what he believed the American people needed to do if they were going to establish a nation that would last in the future. Now, at the time that George Washington wrote this, he really thought this would be the last farewell address he would give. It would be his farewell address. He thought this would be the last words that the American people will ever hear from me. And so believing that this would be his last official significant communication with the state's governments and the people of America, I want to encourage you to do something. I want to encourage you to Google his 1783 circular to the states and read it because it doesn't take long. And it it gives advice that is still relevant to where we are today. Now, the interesting thing is how George Washington closes this circular because he closes it with a prayer. I'm going to put this prayer up on the screen, and I want you to listen to what this man prayed for his nation. Let's throw it up on the screen. Let me read it to you. I now make it my earnest prayer that God would most graciously be pleased to dispose us all to do justice, to love mercy, and to demean ourselves with that charity, humility, and pacific temper of mind, which were the characteristics of of the divine author of our blessed religion and without an humble imitation of whose example in these things we can never hope to be a happy nation. Now, any Jewish rabbi living in that day and any American pastor living in that day would have immediately recognized that George Washington had just quoted one of the most powerful verses in all of the Old Testament. 
And if you brought a copy of God's Word, let me give you a head start. I want you to turn to the book of Micah. Turn to Micah, and I want you to turn to Micah chapter 6. Micah chapter 6, and we're going to be looking in verse 8. Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. And, uh, and while you're turning, by the way, um, we're, we're going to be looking at this passage and, and maybe one other passage of Scripture. But um, in Micah chapter 6 and verse 8, um, and you probably haven't, probably haven't read this in a long time here, but um, in Micah chapter 6 and verse 8, God does us a favor. Because what God does is he basically gives us a definition of what it means to be good. Now, here's what Micah 6, 8 says. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. So now what is good? All right, here it is. And what does the Lord require of you? Three things. To act justly, love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, when General Washington quoted that verse of Scripture, what he basically was saying and, and very plainly and pointedly saying to the nation was, and he was saying it then just like he would say it now, was basically this. He said, if you want to be a happy nation, be a good nation. That, that's the secret to being happy. If you want to be happy, be good. And a matter of fact, what he really said was this, you do good by being good. And then he goes on to say, and you wouldn't probably hear any president say this today, but he went on to say that the ultimate example of goodness is what he called, quote, the divine author of our blessed religion. Well, who was he talking about? He was talking about Jesus Christ. He was saying, if you want to be good, the greatest example of goodness you'll ever find is Jesus Christ. Now, if you're a guest of ours today, this is your first time, we're in a series we started back uh, around the first of the year called Tasty. And it's based on a text in the book of Galatians that reads like this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, uh, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. I don't like the word forbearance. I like the word patience. It's a little more up to date. So let's take that off the screen and let's say that together. Ready? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, what that means is simply this. And if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ or not a follower of Christ, let me kind of help you understand what Paul's talking about. When a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ, when a person finally decides to surrender their life to Christ, though they may not realize it at that moment, at that exact moment, the Holy Spirit of God comes and lives in that person's life and comes resides, to reside in that person's heart. And from that moment on, all God wants for that person that's going to follow him is simply to walk in the Spirit, to live by the Spirit, to let the Holy Spirit take over his life and let the Holy Spirit live his life through him and let that Holy Spirit bear fruit through his or her life. So this is fruit. And fruit is something that is born by a tree. And what, 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 what Paul was saying was, he was saying, God wants our life to be like a tree. And on the branches of our tree, we ought to be bearing the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, and, and so forth. Now, the part of that fruit that we're going to look at today is goodness. Now, let me just stop and, and, and kind of take away a notion some of you have had about being good. Because contrary to what a lot of people think about goodness, goodness is not primarily looking good. It's not primarily feeling good. Are you ready for this? 
Goodness is not even primarily doing good. That's not what the Bible means. What the Bible means by goodness is not doing good, it's being good. And it's from being good that you begin doing good. Now, the fact is, goodness is a fruit of the Spirit. And and that ought to tell us something. If goodness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, that's what God says. If goodness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, then then, listen, this is going to shake some of you up. That means that true goodness can only come from God. It's not something you can manufacture. It is something that only God can give. Now, that means two things that some people won't like to hear. When when this is televised, I promise you, there are going to be people out there saying, I'm turning you off, don't buy it, don't believe it. Number one, apart from God, there's no such thing as goodness. Apart from God, there's no such thing as goodness. That's worse. Apart from God, there is no one who is good and no one who does good. Nobody. Now, don't take my word for it. The Bible says in Romans 3.12, there is no one who does good, not even one. Hey, let me give you a little, uh, little exercise. Take the word good and pull out of it the word God. What do you have left? Zero. You've thought about that? Take the word good, pull out the word God, and all you have is a big, fat zero. You're saying, so what you're telling me is, if I don't have God in my life, I'm a big, fat zero. That's exactly what I'm telling you. You're a big, fat zero. There is no good apart from God, and apart from God, there is none that does good. By the way, you may not know that the word good comes from the old Anglo-Saxon word that had the same connotation as God. And you may not know this, but goodbye is just is a modern way of what people used to say about 400 years ago. When people 400 years ago would either would be leaving, you know what they would say? God be with you. What we've done, we've just shortened that. And, and, and so, you know, the next time that you meet an atheist, just say goodbye, and he won't even know what you're telling him. But you're really telling him, God be with you, because the word good literally means to be like God. Now, you may say, where did you get this idea? Where did you come up with this idea that apart from God, there is no good, and apart from God, no one is good or no one does good? I got it from Jesus. Because Jesus said something very revealing on one occasion about both good and about God. And you may remember the story. In Mark chapter 10, the Bible tells about a, 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 what's called the rich young ruler. It was a man who had, uh, he had, he had dotted every I, he had crossed every tri- T, and, and, and he, he had tried to live his life the best way he knew how, and he tried to keep all of the commandments. And so he comes to Jesus to ask him about how he can have eternal life. And, and in fact, he says in Mark 10, 17, he says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Seems like a very simple question, very innocent question. But Jesus answers his question with another question. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, that rattled him through his teeth. Why are you calling me good? Now, don't you listen. I'm looking at a lot of people that I've known for a lot of years. And there are a lot of sweet, nice, wonderful people. But in truth, there are no good people, not apart from God. There there are no good old boys apart from God. 
Why, why do you call me good? No one is good. You know, we're fond of saying God is good. Well, you can add an adjective to that. Only God is good. Psalm 34, 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, if you're going to talk about good, you've got to talk about God because we've, we've already said it. Without God, there is no good. Now, here's the truth of the matter. God is good. And God wants us to be good. But the only way we can be good is to be like God. And the only way we can be like God is to have God live in us. And the only way God can live in us is through the person of the Holy Spirit. And when he comes to live in us in the person of the Holy Spirit, he wants to bear through us the fruit of goodness. By the way, remember what I've told you in, uh, uh, several times already, what makes fruit so good? Well, th th there's two things about fruit that makes, makes it good. Number one, it's good to us. It tastes good. And number two, it's good for us. It's nutritional. And so what we've been saying in this series is that God wants me to live my life in such a way. And God wants you to live your life in such a way. That, 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 that your lives will literally taste good to others. That is, they'll be drawn to you. They'll be attracted to you. They, they'll want to get into a relationship with you. It, it'll be good. You'll be good to them, and then you will be good for them. Because as they get into a relationship with you, and they begin to see in your life love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When they begin to see that fruit in your life, there will be a thirst in them, and they'll say, you know what? I want to be like you. I, I, I want to know the God that makes you fruitful. But now that again raises a question. What does it mean to be good? What is goodness? Well, the verse that General Washington quoted, um, God, uh, the, the verse that General Washington quoted uh, uh, tells us exactly what goodness is. God doesn't leave any doubt. Let me throw it up on the screen and read it again. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. Let me just stop right there. The reason why God has to show us what's good is because apart from God, there is no good. Apart from God, we are not good. And apart from God, we wouldn't even know what's good. So God says, all right, let me show you what's good. Here's what's good. What does the Lord require of you? God said, this is what goodness is. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, basically, here's what God says. Simply this. This is what I want you to take out the door and you leave this morning. Goodness is loving the right things and living the right way. In, in, in some, if you want to know what goodness is, that's what it is. Goodness is loving the right things and it's living the right way. So I'm going to take that little definition of what goodness is. And what I want to do this morning is I'm going to take those three little clues that God gave us, those three characteristics of goodness, and we're going to make those barometers. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want you to line up your life compared to what God says is good. And then I want you to determine how good a person are you really. Here's the first thing we learn. Goodness is an action that helps others. Goodness is an action that helps others. Now, what is good and what does the Lord God require of you? First of all, he says to act justly, to do justice. Now, the word for justice or justly is found over 200 times in the Old Testament, and it means to treat people equitably. For example, listen to this. Leviticus 24, 22 says, you are to have the same law for the foreigner and the native born. I am the Lord your God. Now, the word there for same law is the same Hebrew word that's used here to do justice or to act justly. In other words, what God said is you're not to have one law for the uh, citizen and one law for the immigrant. You're not to have one law for the native and one law for the foreigner. 
He said, absolutely not. Justice is to be blind. It's to be blind to race. It's to be blind to class. It's to be blind to color. It's to be blind to social position. It's to be blind to wealth. Justice shows no partiality. Now, it's, re- it's really interesting. When you study this word in detail, you will find in the Bible that justice actually has two components. Number one, justice demands that we punish people when they do wrong. That's the rule of law. That's why justice is so important to the, to the, to the survival of a nation. But number two, it does demand that we give people their rights. We give people what they're due. Proverbs 31.9 says, speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. So in other words, justice is giving people what they're due, whether it is punishment or protection. Now, here's what else is interesting. I did a lot of deep, deep digging in this, in this particular word. Let me tell you why. If, 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 as I look back on my life and look back on my ministry and look back on the churches that I've led, one of the weaknesses I've had in my ministry, and I freely admit this, I haven't really been that concerned about justice. And, what, and what, you're going to understand what I mean by that in a minute, what I mean by justice. It just hasn't been on my radar screen. And there are going to be some of you that when you hear these words, you're going to kind of, kind of bow your neck up and say, oh, you're, you're talking about a social gospel. You're, 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 you're kind of getting off what the real gospel is. Absolutely not. But I am telling you that justice is a part of the gospel because when you study this word, there are several classes of people that keep coming up over and over again. And there are basically four classes of people that God was specifically concerned about. Let me just give you an example. In the book of Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 7, verse 10, here's what we read. Do not oppress the widow, group one, the fatherless, group two, the foreigner, group three, or the poor, group four. Do not plot evil against each other. Now, in Bible days, these four groups of people, the widows, the orphans, the immigrants, and the poor people, they had no social power. They had no political influence. They had no financial strength whatsoever. And they all basically lived at a poverty level. Many of them were just days away from starvation at any given time. Now, if we were to bring this list up to date in the 21st century, we would expand this list to include refugees, the homeless, many single parents, and and elderly people. And, and, And simply put, what God is telling us is the goodness of both an individual and a church and a nation can be measured by the justice that it demands that these people receive. Goodness is simply godliness in action. If you want to know what goodness is, it's just godliness in action. As a matter of fact, this is the goodness of God. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17. Listen to this. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. Now listen to this. Watch them. We'll read this slowly. He defends the cause of the fatherless, that's the orphans, and the widow, and loves the foreigner, the immigrant, residing among you, giving them food and clothing. Now, if you did not live back in the day 3,000 years ago or so when that verse was written, if you did not live back in the day, that statement really wouldn't impact you the way it would have 3,000 years ago. Let me tell you why. That is one of the most powerful statements about God and one of the most powerful statements about the faith we ought to have in God you'll read in all the Bible. In virtually all of the ancient cultures of the world back in that day, 
The power of the gods, little g, not big D, the big G, the power of the gods was not identified with the outcasts or the widows or the orphans or the aliens. Back in the day, these, these, all these pagan gods, they were identified with the elites, the, the people in political power, the generals, the kings, and the wealthy. But, but what's amazing is the God of Israel identified with the orphan and the widow and the alien and the poor. And unlike every other little God that pagans worship, this big God of Israel said, I'm not on the side of the wealthy. I'm on the side of the poor. I'm not on the side of the God in the, uh, of the guy in the big house. I'm on the side of the God uh, of, the, of the man in the poor house. I'm not on the side of the man that's got it all. I'm, not, I'm on the side of the man that doesn't have anything. I'm not on the side of the man that can hire a wealthy lawyer to get him off. I'm on the side of the man that can't hire a lawyer at all. I'm on the side of the unborn. I'm on the side of the homeless. I'm on the side of the widow. I'm on the side of the person that has no influence with anybody whatsoever. And one of the things that I've determined to kind of change in my ministry is, is, is to lead our church to get more involved in social issues. And I don't mean that apart from the gospel. But I'm here to tell you today that, you know, you can go to one of two extremes. You can, you, you can go to the extreme and say, all we've been called to do is preach the gospel. That's not true. That, that is one of the major things we've been called to do, and we ought to preach the gospel. At the same time, we've been called as a church, and we've been called as the people of God to be concerned about the poor and concerned about the widow, and concerned about the refugee, and concerned about the homeless, and concerned about the unborn. So let me just tell you a couple of things we've, we've done in our church, and we're going to do more. We've entered into, into, a, into a partnership with Street Grace. That's a local ministry that is seeking to end the sexual exploitation of children in the Atlanta metro area. I don't know if you know this or not. We have the, the sexual exploitation of little children has become an epidemic right here in this country. There's a problem, big, big problem. And not only are we financially supporting this ministry because of your gifts to the church, but we're educating and mobilizing our Crosspoint family to join them in this effort. Later this year, we're going to host an event with Street Grace that will be open to our community so that we can educate our people on the injustice that's occurring right here in Gwinnett County. And there are additional opportunities that are going to be published throughout the year, and we're going to give you a chance to volunteer at the Street Grace Ministry Center. I want to do that. I want to get involved in that. Let me tell you another thing we're doing. Caring for orphans. Orphans. I, I've really, one of the, one of the, if I had my whole ministry to do over again, you know what I, I would really, really emphasize in a church? I would emphasize adoption. Can I tell you what I've been guilty of in my ministry? I have railed and railed and railed and railed against abortion, and I believe abortion is wrong. Period. End of discussion. For me. But anybody can curse the darkness. What we are people that light a candle. And the truth of the matter is, Teresa and I were talking the other day, if I had my life to do over again, you know what I would have done differently? I would have adopted a child. And, 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 I, and I really believe that, that there's nothing, there's not a greater thing that we can do in the image of God and for the glory of God and to reflect the love of God, if we possibly can, than to adopt. And so I, I've really gotten orphans on my heart. Did you know, listen, in Georgia alone, in Georgia alone, there are 1,500 children in foster care who are, who are available for adoption. Now, you and I both know there's got to be 1,500 families in the state that would like to have a child. Last year, we began developing an orphan care ministry. 
You may remember we devoted a Sunday to this thing. We had Johnny Carr from Bethany Christian Services come to speak. Since then, we've launched a new ministry called 1.27. It's based on James 1.27. And and you can, uh, I don't know if we can throw that up on the screen or not, or show the website. Okay, here it is. We've got a website called dosomegoodtoday.com. You might want to write this down. dosomegoodtoday.com. You can find information on this this website about how you can do good. As a matter of fact, on that website, we've listed six different ministries, any one of which you can get involved in right now if you want to really begin to exercise the goodness of God. Last fall, we hosted a a Discover Adoption event for our community. We hosted Bethany's Christmas party for foster families. We have an orphan care mission trip planned for this summer. And we want to lead the way in giving children Christ-centered families. Well, we say, well, why are you so concerned about that? This is what God said. God said, you know what's good? You know what I require of you? Act justly. And all that simply means is this. is simply doing the right thing at the right time in the right way for the right people. That's what it means. And we need to become known, not just we, not just this church, but the church. We need to become known as a church that stands for justice and stands for what is right and stands for what is good. Do you know why this is so important? You need to think about this, something I forget so often. The only you that most people will ever see in your life is the you that's on the outside. You understand the vast majority of people that you quote unquote know really don't know you? You understand that? Do you understand the vast majority of people that you'll go to work with will never really get to know you? The vast majority of people in your neighborhood really don't know you? And the vast majority of people that ever come in contact with you, the only you they will see is the you they see on the outside. That's why St. Francis of Assisi once famously said, preach the gospel all the time. If necessary, use words. Now, he was half right because you do have to preach the gospel with words. But what St. Francis was saying, he was right. He said, before you preach the gospel, make sure you've got a life that backs up the gospel. And I want this community, I want this, this town, I want this city to know Cross Point is a church that cares about justice. We care about widows. We care about orphans. We care about the poor. We care about immigrants. And, you, you know, I've got my own opinion about immigration and illegal immigrants, and you've got yours, and this is not time to talk about that, and I'm not an expert on it. I will tell you this. Whether an immigrant is legally in this country or not legal in this country, they have a soul that needs to be saved. They have a heart that needs to be cared for, and we need to love them and do everything we can to build bridges to them and share the gospel with them. That's goodness. Now, here's the second thing. Goodness is an affection that cares for others. It's not just an action that helps others. It's an affection that cares for others. Now, what's the second part of doing good? It is to love mercy. Now, now that's kind of interesting, isn't it? Isn't it interesting how we think that two things that are totally separate actually go together? God says justice and mercy actually go together. Now, you say, Pastor, can you explain that to me? Sure. Justice is what we do. Caring for the orphans, caring for the widows, caring for single parents, caring for the unborn, et cetera. That's what we do. Mercy is why we do it. 
Now, the word mercy refers to God's unconditional grace and compassion on others. As a matter of fact, that Hebrew word hesed, I, I learned this in the seminary. When I took Hebrew, I had, I had a, uh, my, my Hebrew professor, professor said, and, and it's one of the few things I agreed with him on, by the way. He was a rank liberal. But, but one of the things he said I agreed with was when, when, when we studied this word, he said, I believe this is the single most beautiful word in the Old Testament. Hesed, H-E-S-E-D. It's used over 250 times. Matter of fact, it is such a rich word that one English word can't translate it. And if you read your English version of the Bible, you will, you will, it will blow your mind how many times you'll read that word, but you won't know you're reading the same word because it's translated so many different ways. Sometimes it's called love. Sometimes it's called mercy. Sometimes it's called kindness. Sometimes it's called merciful kindness. Sometimes it's called loving kindness. But I want you to notice what Micah says about it. This is so big, I don't want you to miss this. Micah doesn't say what you thought he would have said. He didn't say, now, if you're good, you will be merciful. That, that's what you thought he would have said. I'm going to have mercy on you wearing that Florida jacket and not say anything. <laughs> he did not say, if you're good, you'll be merciful. What's what, what did he say? You will love mercy. Have you ever given mercy with gritted teeth? Be honest. That's not mercy. He says, if you're good, you will love mercy. That is, you will love every opportunity you get to show mercy to other people and help other people find it when they need it. And I think the reason for that is obvious. Because when you love mercy, you'll live mercy. And do you know why living mercy and giving mercy is so important? I want you to write this down. This is important. Do you know what the opposite of mercy is? Bitterness. If you're here this morning and you're bitter toward anybody for any reason, I don't care why, I don't care how justified you think you are. If you're here this morning and you have unresolved bitterness in your heart, you don't understand nor love mercy. Because there is no way that bitterness and mercy can reside in the same heart and in the same house. And I want to tell you something. There's something liberating about being merciful. There's something liberating about being good. There's something liberating about making up your mind. I'm going to treat the lowest and the littlest and the least with kindness and with grace and with goodness. Listen, St. Augustine once said this. This is so good I put it up on the screen. He that is good is free though he be a slave. But he that is evil is a slave, though he be a king. Boy, that is so good. And it's interesting to me that Micah puts being good and being merciful together. Because you know what the Bible teaches about God? The Bible teaches that God is both a good God and a merciful God. And I'm going to tell you a fascinating little scientific fact that I did not know until I studied for this message. It is amazing how many of us every day experience the goodness of God and don't even realize it. It is amazing how, how, how every day, so many times we experience the mercy of God and we don't even realize it. Let me give you an illustration. I, I, there, there's something that we see very often, and you would never associate this with the mercy and the goodness of God. You know what it is? You ready for this? This is fascinating to me. A lightning bolt. A lightning bolt. And you say, how in the world can you see the love and the mercy and the goodness of God 
in a lightning bolt. I mean, lightning, I know it can be terrifying. I know it can be extremely destructive. I, I love the story. If you're a golfer, I love the story about, the, you know, Lee Trevino. You may have heard this story if you're a golfer. You haven't. Lee Trevino tells the story. Somebody asked him one time, they said, if you were out in the middle of a golf course and a lightning storm came up, what would you do? He said, I'd hold up a one iron. And they said, why would you hold up a one iron? He said, because even God can't hit a one iron. Now, I know that, you know, we're, we're, we're terrified of lightning. But have you ever thought about the fact that God is performing a service through that electrical flash called lightning that literally keeps us alive? Did you know that we couldn't even live without lightning? You say, well, where, where do you get that idea? All right, listen to this. One of the things that you and I need in our bodies to survive is nitrogen. Now, the good news is nitrogen is abundant in our atmosphere. It's in the air right now. But here's the, other, here's the problem. We cannot absorb it into our lungs. You can't just breathe in nitrogen. Well, God knew that we needed nitrogen to live. And so what God has done is God sends an electrical charge through that bolt of light, a blessing called lightning. So what does the lightning do? Listen to this. Every time a lightning bolt flashes through the sky, it separates the nitrogen from the atmosphere and the rain brings it down to earth. So far, so good, but the task is not complete. Because now, a little bacteria transformed the nitrate into that lightning into what's called a nitrite in a form that a plant can absorb it so that when we eat the plant or when we eat an animal that eats the plant, we receive the nitrogen that we need in order to live. So the only way that nitrogen is manufactured in a form that we can absorb it is through a bolt of blessing called lightning. And every time that lightning flashes through the sky, you better remember God is good and God is merciful because no lightning, no nitrogen, no nitrogen, no life. And so even something as powerful and fiery and hot and destructive as a bolt of lightning, God says, if you'll look deeper and go deeper, you will see my mercy and you will see my love. Now, I want to ask you a very hard question, and it's hard for me. And if it's hard for me, it's bound to be hard for some of you. Let me ask you, just be honest. Do you love mercy? Do you remember the difference between justice and mercy? I've told you before. Justice is giving people what they do deserve. Mercy is not giving people what they deserve. So here's my hard question. Who do you know that needs some mercy today? Well, they don't deserve it. That's why it's mercy. I get that. Who do you know that needs some mercy? Who do you know, even though they don't deserve it, that needs your forgiveness? Hey, who do you know? That even though they may be very unlovable, they need your love. Well, my exes who are in Texas. Well, then if you love mercy, you better give it. Because let me tell you, there'd be a lot less bitterness and a lot less strife in our families, in our homes, in our cities, in our nation, and in our world if we would fall in love with mercy. Now, here's the third thing. Goodness is an attitude that inspires others. It's not just an action that helps others and not just an affection that ministers to others. It's an attitude that inspires others. Now, look at the last requirement of goodness. Walk 
humbly with your God. Now that's the real source. And that's the real secret of goodness. Walking humbly with your God. Now notice again, I'm going to wrap this up the way same way I started. If you leave God out of the equation, you can't be good. Here's what God says. God says, do you, do you really act justly? Do you really try to, to stand up for, the, for those that can't stand up for themselves? Do you really proactively try to get involved in situations where people are not being treated right and try to make sure they get what they deserve? Yes. And do you love mercy? Do, do you, do you, at every opportunity, when, when you get a chance to be merciful, are you merciful? When, when you get a chance to be forgiving, are you forgiving? When you get a chance to be loving, are you loving? You say yes. God says, you're still not good if you don't know how to walk humbly with me. Walk humbly with your God. You leave God out, you can't be good. The truly good person will have a walk with God because goodness is the work of God. And what God is telling us is this. And I, I'm afraid some of you haven't heard me yet, so I'm going to really, this is where I'm kind of boring as I close this message. Being good comes before doing good. And that's so important. I want you to say it out loud. Being good comes before doing good. Let's say it again. Being good comes before doing good. See, you can't do good unless you are good. Because if you try to do good without being good, it really isn't good at all. Let me tell you what that means. See, there's some people today who are telling us that goodness is a matter of the head. They'll say, look, all, all, of, all people do, need to do, all people need to do what's good is just know what's good. And, and, and so, uh, you know, if you know what's good, you'll do what's good. Well, we know that's not true. I mean, let me, let me ask you a question. I mean, let's just be honest. How many of you have known you should have done a good thing, but you didn't do it? I mean, you, we've all done that. As a matter of fact, Paul said this in Romans 7, 19. I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. That's why people have to go on diets. Hey, seriously. Why, why do people gain too much weight? They don't do the good they know they ought to do. Why, 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 did, why, did, why do people gain weight? I mean, I've done the same. Why do you gain so much weight over Christmas? Why do you gain so much weight? I, one of the things I had to change, this I was telling somebody the other day. 35 years I've been married. Next month I'll be married. 35 years. This is the first Christmas in 35 years. You ready for this? I lost a pound over Christmas. I lost one pound over Christmas. Let me tell you how I did it. I had to change my way of thinking. I did the same thing most of us do. I go into Christmas, and what do we say? We, get all the, we go to all these parties. We got all this fatty food, you know, that we want to eat. And what do we say to ourselves? But it's Christmas. Like, okay, that makes it okay to, you know, clog my arteries and, and, and you know, gain a flat, uh, you know, two tires over my stomach. That makes it okay. It's a Christmas. Or vacation. I, 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 every vacation we go on, I'll gain 10 to 12 pounds because I think, you know, I never eat fried food till I go on vacation. It's fried seafood for breakfast, fried seafood for lunch, fried seafood for dinner. It's vacation. And even though I know it's not good, I do it anyway. Paul said that's exactly right. See, let me just kind of give you an aside. I believe in education, I, I, and I got a lot of education, so I have to believe it. I'd be a hypocrite if I didn't. I believe in education. I believe in good education. But I want you to hear me. We're being told by a certain quarter in certain places, education will make people good. That's wrong. If you educate a thief, all you're going to have is a smart thief. So 
goodness is not a matter of the hand. Let me tell you something else. Goodness is not a matter of the hands. I mean, there's some people who say, well, goodness is just treating other people good. So if you do good to others, then you must be a good person. Well, that's not true. There are a lot of people in this world who do good, but they're not good. Let me give you an example. A homicide bomber is about to go out into a city and walk into a square and kill hundreds and hundreds of innocent men, women, boys, and girls. But before that homicide bomber goes out there, he kisses his mother, loves his mother, tells his mother how much he loves her, and thanks her for being a great mother. Now, he was good to his mother, but we wouldn't say he was good. So, no, goodness is not a matter of the head. Goodness is not a matter of the hands. What do you think goodness is a matter of? What do you think? Somebody tell me. The heart. It's a matter of the heart. It comes from walking with God. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 12, 35. A good man brings good things out of the good where? Stored up in him. Goodness is not primarily what you do on the outside. It's what you are on the inside. Listen, do you know what a hypocrite is? A hypocrite is someone who does good on the outside, but he's not good on the inside. That's hypocrisy. Jesus said a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And you may not like this, but the truth of the matter is you will never understand what goodness is. You'll never understand how goodness comes and or how you can be good if you don't get this down. Listen, I want you to, this is something I want you to write down if you're taking notes. Next, next one. We just put that up there. Goodness is not a matter of what you know or what you do. It is a matter of what you are. It is not a matter of what you know or what you do. It is a matter of what you are. Goodness, according to the Bible, is not a deed that you do. It is fruit that you bear. And that fruit can only come when you've got that spirit of goodness bearing fruit through you. Now, let me tell you the good news. The good news about the fruit of the Spirit is this. Let me tell you how the fruit of the Spirit is different from ordinary fruit. The fruit of the Spirit never rots. It ripens, but it never rots. Let me tell you what that means. You ready? I hope this will really minister to some of you. No matter how good you are or how good you think you are, as you grow in the Lord and as you walk humbly with the Lord, you'll find that your goodness will get even better. A little poem put it this way, good, better, best. Never let it rest. Until your good is better and your better best. Now, I'm going to put it to you this way, and, and, and this is not good grammar, but it's great theology. You ought to be gooder today than you were five years ago. You ought to be gooder today than you were five years ago. If your goodness meter has not moved in five years, if you can't look at your life and understanding what goodness is, say, I am a gooder person today than I was five years ago, you've missed it. Let me tell you why. Musicians are not judged by how long they sing or how long they play. They're judged by how well they play. Singers are not judged by how loud they sing, but how well they sing. And what really matters to God is not how long you live, but how you live. As Rick Warren put it, God is not concerned about the duration of your life. God is concerned with the donation of your life. 
We're all worked up about how, how can I, you know, eat healthy, work out, exercise, go to the doctor. Let's try to see how long we can live. Nothing wrong with living a long time. That's not the point. But I want you to understand God really is not interested in how long you live. God is interested in how good you live. And when I think of these three characteristics, acting justly and giving people what they deserve, you know, and loving mercy, not giving people what they deserve. And, and then I think about, you know, being, you know, walking humbly before the Lord. I ask myself the question, who comes to my mind that, that, that kind of fits this, this passage? And immediately I thought about a man that I've been with on three different occasions. And, 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 and to me, he's the greatest man of God I've ever been with. And I've got about three men in that category. But the man I think about is Billy Graham. And, and let me tell you why Billy Graham came to my mind. If you were to ask anybody just in a general survey, what one person comes to mind that personifies goodness, I'd be very surprised if Billy Graham didn't make the top two or three. I think, you know, whether you believe in God or not, but, you know, Billy Graham, just people just believe he's just a very good man. And I got to thinking about why, why do people see Billy Graham the way they see Billy Graham? Why do they do that? I mean, you know, Dr. Graham, has he, has he, has he, has he you know, uh, acted justly? Well, he's ministered in orphanage, hospitals, and streets around the world from the, from the beginning of his ministry. You may not know this. From the very first crusade he ever did, he insisted it be fully integrated. There would be no color barriers. From the very first crusade that he did, he invited people of different creeds and different races and different colors to be involved on his leadership team. And no matter how he's been attacked in the press or publicly, if you know Dr. Graham, he's never shown anything but mercy to even his most vocal and vociferous critics. I mean, here's a man who has acted justly. Here's a man who has loved mercy. But I still often wondered, how can this great man manage to be so good? And then one story I want to tell you explains it all. Several years ago, Dr. Graham was invited to a, uh, a convention, and, and uh, it was a gathering of hundreds of press reporters around the country. They were going to be meeting with the president and other political officials, and Dr. Graham was, was, was invited to be a part of that, and so he happened to get there early. Well, when we got there, and, and, and one of the officials said to him that, you know, if, if, Mr. Graham, just go on up to the platform and take a seat. He was actually backstage. He said, just go on up to the platform. He said, we'll, we'll, we'll start shortly. Well... As, as he walked on stage to sit down, there was about 400 press reporters out there. He walked up, and, and he sat down, and as he sat down spontaneously, all 400 of these reporters stood up and gave him a standing ovation. Do you know what Billy Graham did? Billy Graham turned around to see who they were standing for. It never occurred to Billy Graham that they were standing for him. Walk humbly with your God. Now, I've told you, you can't talk about goodness without talking about God. Let me tell you how good God is. Listen, listen to how good God is. God is so good that when you and I deserve the justice of being punished for our sins, he sent Jesus Christ to take that punishment so he could execute justice on him. And then, because of the death of his own son, he can now afford to give us mercy and withhold the punishment that we do deserve and through grace give us what we don't deserve. And when we accept his mercy, 
we could spend the rest of our lives walking humbly with that God, and we can live a life of goodness. Let's pray together. With heads bowed and eyes closed, you know why good people don't go to heaven? Because there are no good people. If you're here this morning and you think that you can go to heaven apart from Jesus Christ and apart from faith in Him, you don't know how bad you are. You really don't. You don't even have a clue what goodness really is. And if today you would like to experience the goodness of God in your life, if you would like to taste and see how good the Lord is by giving your heart and your life to Jesus Christ. I'm talking to some of you here this morning. You've never experienced the goodness of God. You've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I'm going to ask you right now to pray this prayer. Listen, let me just be honest with you. If you think you're good enough and you don't need God, then I'm not really talking to you. But if you would say today, yes, I do need the Lord and I do want the Lord in my life. I do want to experience the goodness of God. And I want to leave here being a good person so I can do good. Then pray this prayer right now. Just say, dear God, I am a sinner. I'm not good, and you know it. There is nothing good in me apart from you. But you have been so good. You sent Jesus Christ, the only good man who ever lived, to die for my sins. I confess today, Jesus Christ is my Lord. I believe in my heart today, God raised him from the dead. And today, I give my life to Jesus Christ. I repent of my sin, turn away from it, and trust him as my Savior. Now, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, in your order of worship, we talked about a little card that was in there. And I want you to take that card out, and I want you just to sign it, give us some contact information. And then all I want you to do is just check off that little box that says, Today I prayed to receive Christ. There's some of you here today, and maybe you uh, need to be baptized. You've never been biblically baptized, which means you get baptized after you're saved, not before. And you do it by immersion, not by sprinkling any other way. And you want to be baptized. I'm going to invite you to take this card and check off. It says, I want to be baptized. Or maybe you want to be a member of this church. Maybe you've been coming here for a while and you say, hey, I'd like to start the membership process at this church. You can check off that box that says, yes, I'd like to be a part of this church. My Father in heaven, may we be a good church. May we be known as good people. 